Good morning, everyone. This is Pastor Troy Bond, the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies, coming to you once again live right here from our offices in Central Florida, Daytona Beach. Good to have everyone here today. Good to see some some friendly, uh, familiar faces that have come back. Ain't seen Iron City guy in just a little while. Good to see you, brother. Hope all is doing good and God is blessing you. But good to have everyone here this morning. This is the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies, which is a ministry of Raven Ministries International. If you want more information on Raven Ministries, you can go to our website, which is there on the screen at www.biggrace.com. That's www.biggrace.com and get more information on Raven Ministries and what we're doing, not just here in, in Central Florida, but really we're a network of uh, believers and uh, soul winners and disciples and servants of the Most High, really, uh, all across the United States and Canada and expanding into other areas of the world as well. So we'd love to know what you're doing and know what the Lord Jesus is, is doing in, in your life, your ministry, or if we can be any help to you in any way possible. Uh, if it's just praying for you, to send a prayer request to pray at biggrace.com. We'd like to stand with you in intercession. <clears throat> We're actually praying every morning now from 5 a.m. until 6 a.m. <clears throat> Eastern Standard Time. <clears throat> Excuse me. And just lifting up the Lord Jesus on a daily basis. And so if you have prayer requests, man, we'd like to lift those up. We're just seeing God do some tremendous things and getting great reports back as we just seek the face of God. And folks, really, we're in that day and age which it really demands just looking and seeking after Him like never before. What was enough last year uh, probably won't be enough this year. You know, you've really got to consecrate yourself. And so that's what we're doing. And we really invite you to come. We're here live, um, uh, like I said, Monday through Friday, our time, 5 to 6 a.m. Uh, and love to have you to be, come and be a part or if not, if you can't be a part of that, folks, really, I just implore you, get into, get into prayer. Just begin to seek the face of God like never before because you're going to need it. There's going to be times and situations coming upon this nation and this world that's going to demand that you have the mind of Christ. And the only way you're going to have that is to spend the time of uh, intimacy with him. My sister here in the studio said it's now. It is now. That you're going to really have to have that. And you really need to, to take that time and to... Uh, to, to just spend the time with the Lord Jesus Christ, so be a part of that. And so we're and we're also here, like I said, uh, Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 10 for this program, which is the Raven Institute. And we're doing an expository teaching on the Book of Romans right now. And, and if you're just showing back up, or if you joined us for the first time, uh, you, you came at a great time because we're fixing to launch into the 12th chapter of the Book of Romans. We've done this is a hundred in class number 100, 163. Are you sure or four? This is either 163 or 4. For some reason, I'm thinking it's 164. Deb, clarify that for me in just a minute. But if you missed out on any of those and you want um, the audio on these, we'd love to send that to you free of charge. This is 164. I usually have to ask her, and now she's having to ask me. But if you want the audio portion of this, we'd love to send that to you absolutely free of charge. No charge on anything that we, we present uh, by emailing us at raven at com and just give me your snail mail address, and we'll get those printed out. They're going out this week. And uh, so I have some printed, so we'll send those out to you this week if you want those all 160 whatever classes. Then you can request the others as we go, as we get into the, the, the 12th, 13th, and 14th, 15th, and 16th chapters here of the Book of Romans. But once again, good to have you this morning. If you weren't with us last night, we do a, a Tuesday night program for you guys that are with us live today uh, from 8.30 till 10. We had a tremendous time. Pastor Alex was right here with me in the studio, and uh, man, God just showed up and showed down in a tremendous way. Um, we didn't record that. I wish we'd recorded it. We'd made it. We'd made that available. But uh, we, we seldom record that because a whole lot's going on on, on Tuesday nights, but uh, it was good. If you weren't with us, man, it was, it, was, uh, it was some hot stuff. Dude was on fire, says right there. 
And but it was really good. And I encourage you to come out on Tuesday nights as well. God is just stirring up some stuff and doing some tremendous things. And uh, just invite you to come and be a part of those things. And we want to know what you're doing once again, so we can be a part of that. Or at least, at the very least, be praying for you and encouraging you in the things of God. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Just ask for God's blessing on this this time of, of, of fellowship and consecration and coming to His Word. That He would just come and fill us with wisdom and understanding on the things that He's speaking to us. And that uh, the power of God would, would show up. We're also going to pray for the sick. We, we're continuing to get good reports from uh, uh, regarding Pastor, uh, excuse me, George Moyle, that he had this stroke on Sunday evening, I guess it was. And they were going to do, we got the first report yesterday during the broadcast that they were going to have to go in and do brain surgery to relieve the pressure. Then praise God, man, we just began to pray. And they said they didn't have to do that. The neurosurgeon was in. Pastor Sam called me last night and said the, that Pastor George was able to move his left side like he had not been able to in the past. And the neurosurgeon told him, he said, I guess I'm going to leave because you don't need me. And they're going to keep him there for a couple of days for observation and give him some medicine to make sure the swelling in his brain does not return. But we're believing that God has already delivered the medicine and it's called the stripes upon the back of Jesus. So let's continue to pray for him. And it says he's uh, communicating better and uh, uh, don't think they're going to have to do surgery. Just went down to get the CAT scan. And so we're going to believe that uh, the power of God is going to pour out on his life as well. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and just ask for his blessing and direction uh, for today and for his healing of those that have been sick in their bodies. Father, we just thank you for this day because it is a day that you've made and we've come to rejoice and be glad in it. Father, we just ask you right now, Lord God, to come and be in the midst, Lord God, of this time. Lord God, we, we, we need you. Lord God, the, the, the time, the day, and the age, Lord God, whatever we're experiencing, Lord God, demands, Lord God, that we be in your presence. And we, we are totally dependent upon you. Lord God, we, we know that in our flesh dwells no good thing. We don't have an empowerment apart, Lord God, from the regeneration that comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not by our own works. It's not by our own deeds. It's not by the things that we do or the, the reputation, Lord God, that we're able to, to develop. But, Lord God, it's through the blood of Jesus and through that name above every other name. And Lord God, so we're totally and absolutely dependent upon you today, Lord God. We're dependent upon you for our holiness, our righteousness, the transformation, and our victory, Lord God, today. And so, Lord God, as we come to you, we come, Lord God, not on the acts of our, our own righteousness but, or our own volition, Lord God. We come, Lord God, because that the blood of Jesus cries out, not guilty for all those that would receive him by faith. And so we come, Lord God, to that throne of grace and mercy, Lord God, by the name of your son Jesus, Lord God, as adopted heirs, Lord God, into your kingdom, Lord God, as, as those that have become, Lord God, the beneficiaries, Lord God, of your righteousness and your holiness and truth. And so, Father, we ask, Lord God, for you to be with us this morning as we study your word, Lord God. We want to know you. Lord God, we want to come to a place, Lord God, of intimacy, Lord God, and closeness with you. And we know, Lord God, the only way we can do that is through your word, Lord God, and by your Holy Spirit. We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And without that, it's impossible to please you. That we have to believe that you are and that you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you, Lord God. Cause diligence, Lord God, to come into our life. Lord God, you're, even as you're challenging us, Lord God, as we're rising early, Lord God, and and, and seeking your face and praying, Lord God, it's, it's taking diligence, Lord God. It's causing our flesh, Lord God, to, to come under subjection, Lord God, to a willing spirit, Lord God. And so, Father, whatever it takes, the, the fasting, the prayer, the, the, the pressing into your word, Lord God, whatever it takes, Lord God, that we might decrease, Lord God, so be it. We need to decrease, Lord God. We, we, we need to be, be fashioned, Lord God, after your character and after your righteousness. So we thank you, Lord God, for the trying of our faith, Lord God, which is working this patience in us, Lord Jesus. And Father, we just ask, Lord God, 
for your, your spirit to come and lead us and guide us into all truth, Lord God. To You to open up, Lord God, the mysteries of your word, Lord God, that we can ascertain, Lord God, what you're going to try to speak to us. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see, Lord God. Remove anything, Lord God, that would cloud, Lord God, our perception or our reception of you today, Lord God. And cause, Lord God, us to be able to receive, Lord God, that engrafted word of truth. And Father, we pray for those that are sick, Lord God, even as we pray for, for Pastor George, Lord Jesus, for that complete healing. Lord God, even as he's going to that cat scan, we just ask for a miracle to take place, Lord God. Let them find no damage, Lord God. Let them find nothing, Lord God, out of the ordinary, Lord God. But but let them find, Lord God, a, a man that's been supernaturally touched and healed by the power of the blood of Jesus, Lord God. So ask, Lord God, that you would cause all the feeling, Lord God, and sensation. Father, everything to return to his left side, Lord God, as a result of this, 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 happened, this, this stroke. Lord God, let there be no consequential, Lord God, uh, uh, render, uh, uh, effects, Lord God, that, that remain. But, Lord God, cause him to be made whole, cause him to be strengthened, encouraged, and empowered, Lord God, by the blood of Jesus. We pray for others, Lord God, that are sick today, that have been struggling physically, and we're asking by the blood of Jesus, Lord God, for creative miracles, Lord God, to begin to take place. We're asking that the power of God would be poured out, Lord God, that you would show yourself strong on our behalf, Lord God. Father, that the world would have to look and say, surely there is a God in Israel, Lord God. And we thank you for that power and for that majesty that you set up on a throne of glory, Lord God, and that you have not forgotten about us and your hand is not shortened today that you cannot heal. Now come and fill us, Lord God, and, and, and heal us, Lord God, revealing us the issues in our life that need to be dealt with, Lord God. Let your word, Lord God, be that lamp shining, Lord God, in our hearts and lives that we can be more like Jesus in these last days. And for all these things, we thank you, Lord God. Everybody said amen, amen, and amen. Now, folks, listen, uh, ask you a question. How do I need to live my life? And like I said, we're at the 12th chapter of the book of Romans. So right there, go ahead and turn. So how do I need to live my life as a believer and as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? How, how do I need to do that? And you know, really, that's really the question that we have. God, what do you expect of me? What is your, what is the, the demands of your word? What is the expectancy and what should I, what should I look like as a believer? You know, we're out in, in, in the, in the marketplace so often and it's easy when you're out there amongst people and, and, you know, we're not ones that sit back and isolate ourselves. You know, from the world, we're we're in the world. We're not of the world, but we we engage the world. We engage the culture. Is you know, it's kind of a buzzword anymore. But we don't engage the culture on their level. We engage the culture uh, uh, through the mechanism of righteousness and, and preaching the word. You know, when Paul said that I become all things to all men, that by all means I can win some. What, what he wasn't saying is that I'm gonna I'm gonna compromise or I'm gonna digress into that. What he was saying is, I'm going, to go, I'm going to go meet them where they're at. I'm going to go where the lost people are. I'm going to go where the Greek is. I'm going to go where the Jew is. I'm going to go where the Satanist is. I'm going to go where the prostitute is. I'm going, to, I'm going to go, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to show them that there's an example of righteousness and holiness and truth that can come out of my life that by some means some might be saved. Some might look at it and say, you know what, that's what I want to happen in my life. And so what is that example? What is it that you need to be demonstrating as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? I say that because as we are in the marketplace, we're in so many places and seeing so many people in some of the, 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 the roughest areas that you could ever see. And I don't mean just rough as far as crime-ridden, but just, just rough in relationship to there's, there's just no thought of God. There's just no regard for the person or the presence of God. And, you know, many times in those environments, we'll see people that are, that are wearing a, a, a big crucifix around their neck or some type of other Christian paraphernalia, and we'll call them out on that. And you ought to see their faces. It's almost like, you know, they feel like they've been caught with their hand in the cookie jar. And so you begin to call them out and begin to raise them and call them to a standard. And it's amazing. I, 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 it's just this past weekend, I believe it was, that I was witnessing to a couple young men outside of a, a local nightclub 
And uh, these guys immediately said that they believed in, in God. And so as a result of that, what are they doing? They've, they've set themselves up for the standard of righteousness. Now, now folks, the world is going to act like the world. That's, that's just what they're going to do. They are, and that's why 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, he tells us, you know, what business do we have judging the world? They've already been judged. He tells us, though, to, to have righteous judgment or to judge those that are within the church. Why? Because there's already a judgment there, too, and there's a standard. Once I tell people that I'm a believer or follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, listen, there's, there's a standard, there's a criteria in which that I, I need to operate. And so if I'm not, and I get called out on that, I don't need to, to wrinkle my face and, and, and quote out of context uh, uh, Matthew 7, 1, to judge not. And leave it at that. I need to continue to go on. It says, unless I'm willing to be judged by the same judgment or by the same standard. And once I call myself a believer, what do I do? I fall into the realm of having to be accountable to the declaration of my tongue. If I don't want to be held accountable to the standard of righteousness, I just need to shut up. I need to pull off my, my, my gold cross and throw it in the toilet and, and not say that I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I say that because, you know, I remember at a time in my life brought up around Christianity, around religion or whatever you want to call it. Uh, because it really was, much, much of what I saw wasn't really consecrated, sanctified living in Christ Jesus. But one thing I would not do, I had people come witness to me. I remember being 15, 16, 17, out with friends or something, fixing to go into a movie, and some street witnesser stopped me and, and began to ask me. I wanted to avoid them because I, didn't, I, I wasn't going to lie to them. I did know. I, I could finish their sentences for them. I, I knew this stuff. I'd heard it all my life. But I, I didn't want to, I wasn't going to lie to them and tell them I was okay because I knew in my heart that I was not. And it's because there, I knew what I knew what the standard was because I'd looked into the Word, I'd seen the the, the voice, of, heard the voice of God, and seen God do things. But I knew in my heart that my heart was far from Him. That if I died at that moment, I would go straight to hell. But folks, there's not that fear of God in this society any longer. People will look at you straight in the eye uh, on their their way into a sexual immorality or whatever else, and they'll tell you that they're okay and that they're saved and they're going to heaven. Why is that? Why is there no fear of God? Why is there no standard? Folks, it's because the, the, the church at large has reduced that standard and we presented, presented this, this easy believism that's pre, pre opened up a wide gate. And so how is it that we need to live our lives? And that's really what this, this cha uh, 12th chapter, we, we've, we've arrived really to a point in Paul's letter where he's taken us through eight chapters which explain really the, the doctrines of freedom from condemnation. They explain the doctrines of justification, doctrines of sanctification, of glorification. Then, then he took us through the two, the two last chapters that we studied and dealt with how Israel's rejection of the Messiah really was instrumental in opening up the door for the Gentiles, but that how the rejection also kept them from seeing the fulfillment of that Abrahamic and Davidic covenants from being fulfilled during that season that we now experience and call this dispensation of grace. Now we've come to this chapter in, in this letter which Paul describes exactly how a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ should conduct himself and to conform to that really an exalted position that we've been called to in Romans 1 through 8. Folks, listen, the position that we've been called to in Christ Jesus is not a position of being wishy-washy. It's not. It's a very high criteria. And, I want, and if you need to, sometime go back and, 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 and listen to some of these programs as we've really extracted the, 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 what God is looking for in our heart as, as we've been transformed. Folks, where much has been given, much is required. Now, where everything has been given, everything has been required. And so God is not mocked, folks. Whatever uh, uh, one sows, he shall also reap. And so there's the whole uh, uh, concept of sowing and reaping. But you know who began that concept? It was God who began that concept. And so when he sowed the very life of his son Jesus into a dead and darkened world that they might have life, what was he expecting? He was expecting to, 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 to see the, the, the manifestation of that in our lives. 
And so when Jesus came and lived in holiness, He can say, be holy. Why? As I am holy. And so, folks, listen, the requirements of righteousness in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ isn't this, this twisted ideology that's found itself into the modern church. And it's, and it's really sad and it is grievous because we see the consequences of it that are manifesting themselves in another generation. You know, Keith Green said, you know, the, uh, really a pioneer in early Christian music and really a prophetic voice in that industry back in the, the 70s and 80s before he actually died in a plane accident. You know, he said, listen, he said, my generation is responsible for my generation and your generation is going to be responsible for winning your generation to Jesus. Unfortunately, folks, listen, my generation uh, did not do, it has not done a very good job of representing Christ Jesus. I remember being in a church in Northern California. Matter of fact, it was a church that you were once a part of. And as I was preparing to preach the, the word into this church, the Lord spoke to me and he said, I want you to repent. And I was like, what do you want me to repent for, Lord? He said, I want you to repent on behalf of your generation for the example that they've set uh, for the generation coming after. And I stood before that church and I told him, I said, listen, I, I want to repent to you today. And I want to repent because my generation has failed the generation before. I said, and the reason we failed, I said, because the generation before us talked a good game. I said, they talked about righteousness. They talked about holiness. They talked about all these things, but they, we never seen them do that. And so we never held them accountable for that word. We never said, well, I love your stories, but I want you to come and show me. I love what you're saying. I love your old testimonies or what did happen, but I need you to take me by the hand and take me out. And so as a result, my generation became real good at talking about it, but not real good at doing it. And so the things that they did in moderation, we did in excess. And so as good as they were at talking about it, we became better at talking about it, and we became less inclined to actually go do it. We thought we had our spiritual field of dreams. And my generation is the generation of the megachurch. It really is. The, my, my, my 40-something generation is the generation of the megachurch pastor. It's the, the, the great big... Uh, 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 a coliseum-like church where you just kind of funnel everybody in and you, you grab them by their programs and, and all these things, but you're reproducing a, a really a low-impact, high-maintenance form of believer that's really probably not a believer at all according to Galatians chapter 1. And so as a result of the, the fault of my generation, uh, we, what we've done is we've caused that same thing to trickle down into another generation. And so as we wouldn't honor God genuinely with our lives, what are they? They'll blaspheme His name because they're taking it to another extreme. As they saw my generation just be almost indifferent and see Jesus as just something that you do on, on Sunday during a, a service, a celebration service, or midweek during a, a, a sale group or whatever else, they said, you know what, if, if that's the only Jesus for them, if it's just about being a nice person or, or doing this, man, I tell you what, He's going to be even less to us. And so I'm standing out there in front of this nightclub and I'm talking to these two young men that pronounce themselves to be the, the, uh, be believers. And so I begin to address with them, okay, here's what the conduct of a believer is according to the Word of God. And as I shared that with them, they became angry at me. They did. Why? Because they had ne they'd been told, listen, just pray a prayer, say this, and you're okay. And they would pull little snippets out of context throughout the Word of God to try to justify it. But when I began to literally, I opened my Bible up and I said, I want you to read this right here to me. And so they'd ask a question. They said, well, will you think you're this or that? I said, yeah, I do. Let me show you what the Word says. And I flipped my scripture. I said, I want you to read this. And you could say, every time, see, every time that I did that, literally they would become angry and, and volatile towards me. Why? Because they were being challenged and transformed by a standard of the Word. Folks, listen. That, that's what Romans chapter 12 is going to do for us. It's going to flip open, really, the Word of God to us. All these things, these doctrines that have been established in, in the previous, uh, the first eight chapters and really, uh, really funneling that into what we're talking about in, in chapters 10 and 11. 
It's telling us, listen, how should we con- uh, conduct ourselves as believers? And so these young men actually got back in line and, and he, he turned around and he just really began to get angry. And the, the owner of the club, who's a total uh, demonized man, was snickering at the exchange. He was snickering because he, he, he was like, you know what, I got this kid. You were preaching the word and I got him. I'm fixing to get his $20 uh, uh, admission charge and his cover charge and he's coming in. And I looked at that young man and I said, now look who you're aligning yourself with. I said, you, are, you, you claim to be a, a Christian, but now you are aligning yourself with the devil. And I said it just like that in front of the owner. And folks, really, that's what it is. But, but, but why is that? Because we have not been the examples of righteousness that God has called and demanded us to be through His Word. And so what you will see is really the doctrine was established in those first eight chapters. Now He's given us an exhortation to walk in that doctrine. Folks, listen, James tells us don't be hearers of it, first eight chapters, but be doers of it. Chapter 12. Okay, that's what we're going to see right here. And so what you're going to find, well, well, God will never hold you to a standard that He does not make perfectly clear to you before holding you to it. Okay? That's that's the way He operates. So we had all these chapters, 164 hours, uh, or 63 hours up to this point, of establishing the standard. Now, what He's going to do is He's going to tell you how He expects you to walk in that standard here in the 12th chapter. And so at this point in Paul's letter, and as a result, at, at this point in his teaching, uh, you're, you're really without excuse as to the righteous requirements uh, that are that are that should follow uh, those that, that walk in Christ Jesus, and so you, you, if you if you if you've been in this and you've you've heard this and you've studied this, you're really without excuse. If you've read the book of Romans and you've got this far to the twelfth chapter, you're without excuse when the twelfth chapter opens up and he begins to say, okay. Now, here's what I expect of you. I gave you the doctrine. I gave you the truth. I gave you what, what's going to enable you to do that. I showed you through all these verses of Scripture. I showed you through the timeless truths of God's Word and through how the Spirit of God is going to come in and enable you. Now, I'm going to show you how that needs to flesh itself out in your life. Folks, listen. We need to be doers. We need to be shining examples and, and living testimonies of exactly what, what God wants for us and how He wants to manifest itself for us. And so, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, here's what he begins. He says this. He says, uh, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, how many times have you heard that verse? You've heard it many. You've probably heard it and quoted it thousands of times. And so, but I want to, I want to show you exactly what Paul was talking about and hopefully give you that, that. That way, when you read it another thousand times, you're going to see it in a totally different light. And maybe, maybe not a totally different light, but maybe with a greater understanding and application of how it, how it uh, speaks to you. And so here, how did he start that? He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. And if, you're, if you keep notes, write that down and underline it. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Because what that's going to do is set the tone for, for the rest of the 12th chapter. It's going to set the tone on, on really how we need to, to understand these 21 verses of Scripture on, on how we should live out these, these precepts that he set before us. It, and it's, it's, and it, what it is, it's, it's really revealing in how he gives this exhortation because that, that word that says, I beseech you, is the, is the Greek word uh, parakaleo, parakaleo, P-A-R-A-K-A-L-E-O. And it can literally be translated, I beg you please. Do you hear me? When he opens up this 12th chapter, he says, listen, folks, I beg you, please. And, 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 or I, and he says, I beg you, please, or I beg you, therefore. And that therefore really addresses all of the teachings of the previous 11 chapters of the book of Romans. He's saying, guys, I've given you all this truth. 
I've told you all these things. I've, I've labored to make these things perfectly clear to you as regards to what God requires you. And now I'm, I've, I've come to the point that I've shared with you. I've poured my life into you. I've told you what God has done and what God requires. Now I'm, I'm to the point where I'm begging you, please. I'm pleading with you. And folks, listen, I'm doing the same thing with you. Listen, I, I, I've taught you the Word. And what I'm, I'm doing is I'm begging you. I'm imploring you. I'm saying, I beg you, please, all these things that, that God has shown us and revealed to us through His grace and mercy, through His Word, I'm begging you, please. It's time to, to not just hear those things. It's not time to just fill our heads up. It's time to be the examples of those things in our life. Why? Because there's so much at stake. There's a generation that is rising up that needs to see those examples. Just as I was sharing with you, I was in that church and I, and I apologized. I told that generation, forgive me, forgive my generation for, for, for not setting those examples. And please, from this point on, hold my generation accountable. That we can't just talk about the Word. We've got to live it. We've got to be not just hearers, but we've got to be doers of those things. And we've got to walk in the righteousness that God has for us. And so I beseech thee. And say, he says, I've shown you the desperation and the debauchery that's been in the world. He showed us that in that, that first that first chapter. I showed you the righteous requirements that what God has established. I've shown you the power of the Holy Spirit to move inside of your life and to make you righteous. I've shown you the consequences that await the rebellious. I've showed you the demonstration of God's grace and mercy, and I've showed you the the, the judgment uh, that 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 is there if we don't follow in those precepts. And so he says, now as a result of all these things that I've showed you, he says, I am begging you, please. And folks, you know what's so interesting about that. It's interesting to note because how it is so different from how Moses addressed the people of the Old Covenant. It's a totally different approach. Under the law, after Moses revealed and addressed really similar issues in regards to the children of Israel, what he did is he commanded them. He did. He commanded them. But folks, under grace, Paul is not commanding anything of anyone. He's not. He is beseeching or begging them to listen, to take heed, and now to do the things which have been instructed in the Word of God. It's that whole beseeching. He's saying, listen, here's what I want you to do. I, be, I beseech you. I'm begging you to do something. Now, I want to give you a scripture that really ties this together. And it's out of 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 3. And he says, The elders which are among you I exhort... And he says, I'm also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. He said, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. He said, you, and going back to one, he said, you of the presbyteros, you that are leaders of my people. He said, what I want you to do is poimeio, or cherish and tend to the flock. I want you to nurture them. He said, I want you to, to nurture my flock or my people which I've entrusted under your hands. He said, I want you to escopoeo them or take careful oversight over them. Not by an anagastos or a compulsory force, but willingly or hekos esos or a voluntary of, of one's accord, not for filthy lucre or an eagerness for personal gain or personal satisfaction, but for a prop almost, a mind that has been made ready and willing. He said, do not act as lords over God's heritage or do not exercise a subjugated dominion and control that, that over them, but be a servant leader. And so he's telling them, listen, these are my people. These are my people. Whose people are they? They're the people of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're people that have been bought, that have been called out, that have been named. And he said, I've made you that leader. I've made you that person over my flock, over that, those people. And so as a result, what I want you to do is cherish them. I want you to tend to them. I want you to nourish them. And he said, I want you to take 
careful and concise oversight over them, not by this compulsory force, not by, 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 by this demand, not by this, 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 this legalism, but willingly or this by voluntarily on one's accord. And not just because you can gain some personal gain from it, whether it's financial, whether it's your reputation, whether it's a great congregation, whether it's a great following or a great ministry. He said, do not lord over my heritage or any, in other words, don't exercise some subjugated dominion and control or demonstrate any characteristic other than that of a servant leader. In other words, I want you to demonstrate and be just like Jesus was. What does it say about Jesus? That He came not to want be served, but to serve. And that He came as a servant. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? It's the, the servant of all. And so He said, be an example. What did He say? He said, be an example to the flock. Be the tupos. Be the pattern or form in which they are poured. You need to write that down. He, he says that in 1 Peter 5, 1, or 5, 5, 3. He said, I want you to be an example to the flock. Be the tupos. T-U-P-O-S. And that word literally means in the Greek, it means to be a pattern or a form in which they are poured. You know, my, my family was involved in the construction industry for years and years. And, you know, sometimes they'd go and pour forms for, for patio or whatever else, or you'd be out on the job site and somebody would be doing that. And before they laid the foundation, what did they do? They, they didn't just walk out there with a, with a cement mixer or cement truck and just say, okay, I want it there and just pour it on the ground and hope that it, it forms the right foundation. Now, what did they do? They dug a footing. They, they laid the rebar. They laid the wire. They poured the sand. Whatever it was that they had to do. Then they laid the forms around in order to capture the shape in which they wanted to build the house upon. And that's exactly what he's saying. He said, I want you to be the tupos. I want you to be that form that's going to establish the pattern on which everything else is going to be built. Folks, listen, we had some. We had a house that was built when, when, I, when I helped my dad in the, in the drywall business or when I had my own business. And, and the foundation was offered. It was crooked. You know what? Everything that built, was built upon it was crooked as well. And when it got time for us to, 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 to hang the sheetrock, which the sheetrock was, was pre-manufactured with, with straight edges. They were all 90 degree angles. And so the angles were perfect. And so when you begin to take and try to apply the perfect to something that was built upon the imperfect, what happened? You always found yourself having to trim the corners. That's what we do. We'd, we'd go to put a piece up and we'd say, oh man, I have to, I'm going to have to cut that corner. Folks, that's exactly what's happened largely in the body of Christ. We, we, we built something on a, on a shaky foundation that we've not formed or formulated it based upon the precepts of the righteousness of God. And we thought we could just have some lackadaisical approach. And as long as the, 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 the cement's on the ground, it's going to be okay. And God's going to honor that. Folks, listen, that's not how he operates. He tells us to be an example, to be that two-post, to, to be that pattern in which it's formed. And if we formulate that pattern, what does it do? Everything that's built upon it has got the clear angles. It's got the, the clear directives. It's got the uh, great uh, uh, corners in which to build. And everything that's going to be built is going to be able to get derived from the foundation. Otherwise, what's happening? You're cutting the corners off. You're always having to trim here and trim there. And what you do is you have something that's, that's, a, that's a big mess and it's really not the, the workmanship that God has crafted us. He tells us in Ephesians, He said, You are my workmanship created unto good works. And the workmanship of God is always in perfection. Every good gift, every Perfect gift comes down from God, the Father of lights, who there's no shadow of turning with, who there's no no break in the in the form, there's no 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 lapse in, in judgment, there's no error in in the plumb line. Everything is is perfect in Him. And so Paul the Apostle, as he's given us these first eight chapters, what he's doing, he says, I'm I'm laying the plumb line. I'm giving you the example, and he says, now I'm going to show you the form in which other people are going to be poured into you. Do you hear what I'm saying? 
What he gave in the first eight chapters, he's saying how you're going to be changed. And now what he's doing, he's telling us in this 12th chapter, he says, now here's the example that you've got to be, you've got to set and got to be established in your life that other people can be poured into your life. That, you know, Paul said, you know, follow me as I follow Christ. And so we've got to be that same example. You know, one, one of these singers in the, in the Christian uh, music industry came out with a song a few years ago. Uh, don't look at me if you're looking for perfection. Don't look at me. I will only let you down. You know what? You know I can't imagine Paul the Apostle saying something like that. I can't believe I can't I can't believe an early Christian follower of Christ would say something like that. And we just shake and gyrate and say, "Yeah, don't follow me. Don't get your eyes on me, folks." Listen, we are under the microscope. Why? Because God has called us to be the example. Listen, if you're not if if the example that you're setting is not one to follow, you need to change the example that you're setting. You know, I was I was sharing with our local team this past Sunday morning, and, and some of you may have tuned in live to that service. If you, if you don't know, we we broadcast those uh, on Sunday morning is now. But I'm sharing with them just how necessary it is for us to be a standard bearer as, as leaders for the body of Christ and within the Christian community. Uh, we are the ones who establish literally the forms in which the foundation will be poured. And so as a result, we have to conduct ourselves in a manner in which we would expect those who are poured into the forms to be the examples that are duplicated. That's exactly what it is. And folks, this is a high calling and it's really a very challenging place to be in regards to the kingdom because what it requires of us as followers of Christ. And so you have to ask yourself really on a daily basis, is the form or the pattern in which I'm establishing in my life the best pattern for those who would see and try to mimic the life that I live in Christ Jesus? That's what you've got to ask yourself. And Paul really, he uses the exact same language there, and I just quoted it from you in 1 Corinthians 4.16. But he says, therefore I beseech you in 1 Corinthians 4.16, be followers of me, or I'm begging you, Follow the pattern or the mold in which I'm establishing for you. And he goes on to say it again in, in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, Be followers or imitators of me, even as I am an imitator or a follower of Christ Jesus. He said, I'm begging you, look at my life and, and imitate it. Now, now, folks, how many of you walk around telling people or feel comfortable looking into other people's lives and, and, and begging them to follow your example? Do you do that? Do you go to work on a daily basis and you tell people, listen, folks, listen, I walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm a believer, and I'm begging you today, follow the example that I'm going to set for you. Do you feel comfortable doing that? Do you, do you look at your family and say, listen, I'm begging you, follow the example. I'm fixing to set for you an example of what a follower of Christ. Or do you shudder to think that somebody would actually follow your example? Now, now, folks, think about how far we've digressed from the Word of God through what He's told us to. Now what we're doing is we, we'll tell people, don't follow my example because I'll fail you. Rather than doing what the Word says and living an exemplary life uh, changed and transformed by the power of the blood of Jesus, and we say because of that, there's a testimony that's coming out of my life, and I want you to be an example. I want you to pour yourself into the form of the example that I've set for you. So what Paul was establishing here as it was established in 1 Peter 5, is the manner in which I, I, I desire, he said, to, is to lead by example. This example will qualify you to speak directives then into a person's life that otherwise you did not have any business speaking to them. And so what he's doing is he's saying that the only thing that I'm asking you to imitate is that which I'm willing to establish as a characteristic of my own walk with Christ. That's what he's saying. He's saying the reason being is I know that I've consecrated myself. I know that I'm living as an example of Christ Jesus. And so what I'm doing is I'm asking you to live that same type of example. I'm asking you to follow that. And so you cannot ask somebody to spend time in prayer if you're not praying. 
Do you hear me? You can't tell somebody that you've got to begin to seek the face of God. You've got to follow Him if you're not willing to do it. And so if you want people to be poured into your, your, your form, what do you got to do? You've got to begin to seek the face of God. You can't tell people that you've got to spend time in the Word if you're not willing to establish the standard or the form of staying in the Word of God. If you say, listen, you've got to, to, to study to show yourself approved unto God. You've got to rightly divide a word of truth in a workman who need not be ashamed. You can't tell somebody to do that unless you're willing to do that. You can't tell somebody you've got to spend time in worship and, and you've got to worship Him with a reckless abandon. You've got to worship Him with in spirit and truth if you're not doing that. You can't tell people to witness and go out and preach the gospel and to win their cities for Jesus if you're not actually doing those things. You're not the form. You can't spend time loving and being in fellowship with the body of Christ and telling people, listen, we're the body fitly joined together, each one supplying the need of the other. If you're not willing to invest your life in the body of Christ, in fellowship, and in breaking bread, and from going house to house, and involving yourself in their life, and, and laying down your life for a friend. You cannot spend ask somebody to spend any time doing the work of the ministry, folks, if you're not actually doing it. And so what's happened is we've created a generation that is real. It's, it's the, the church of the infomercial. It really is. You know, if you've ever stayed up late and clicked on the television, I tell you what, what you get is you got infomercial one after the other. And you know what? Those, those infomercials... They're, they're very mesmerizing. I found myself watching the Ginsu commercial for the 15th time. I've seen myself watching the uh, uh, Ronco's uh, uh, commercials time and time again and, and just sitting there watching that stuff and thinking about going and getting my phone and doing Why? They're captivating. They're very good at what they do. Now, do I have any of those products? I don't have any of those products, but they're real good at, at trying to sell those things to me. Folks, listen, the, the church of today has become the great infomercial. They're good at talking about it, but when you, when you get what they have, you find out it's really a cheap substitute and it breaks real easy. There's nothing to it. But folks, we've got to come to that place where we're the example. That, that Paul says, listen, I'm begging you. I'm beseeching you. I'm, I'm asking you. I'm, I'm calling out to you. I'm, th- I'm throwing myself at your feet and I'm saying, listen, folks, I've set an example for you in which to follow. What more do I need to do? I'm pouring my life out for you. And so I told the locals this, this past weekend, I said, people are looking, literally, for the lowest common denominator to follow. That's what people are looking for. They're not going to look. What they do is, if you call yourself a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, what they're going to do is they're going to they're look for the lowest standard in which to follow. They're not going to say, you know, you go to the gas pump, you know what? 90% of the gas that's sold is regular gas. It's not, it's not the super unlead. It's not the premium. Why? Because they're looking for the thing that's the cheapest that's going to cause their car to run. That's what it is. They're looking for the lowest thing. I tell you what, I don't go and spend an extra five or eight cents or whatever it is for the premium gas. Why? Because my van seems to go just fine. But folks, listen, we've got that infomercial gas pump mentality in Christianity. We say, listen, if that person's a believer and they say they're going to heaven, and you know what, they just go to church when they want to, or you know, maybe they're irregular, and you know, they're not cussing and fighting or doing these things. So that's the example that I'm going to follow. Folks, listen, I don't ever want us to set that example of just the lowest common denominator. Is this thing where I'm just kind of scratching it out, and I'm just some old sinner saved by grace, and, and I'm barely going to make it? No, I want, I want people that are going to walk in victory. I want to be able to, to say, Lord Jesus, I did my very best and I pressed and listen, this is the victory that overcomes the world. I am walked in overcoming faith. I've got victory over the sin nature, Lord God. I, I, I'm walking in holiness and righteousness and truth. That's what Paul the Apostle said. And listen, he, he was a man of like passage, just like you and me and Elijah and everyone else. Listen, he, he was, but God provided the way of escape. What was that way of escape? The holiness and the righteousness and the precepts that God has said. I beseech you, therefore, 
brethren. Folks, listen, they are looking for the lowest common denominator. Don't let that be you. Do you hear me? And when I used to always lead praise and worship and I taught praise and worship, I tell people, I said, listen, if you're up on the platform of this church and all these people come in, I said, what they're going to do during that praise and worship time, they're going to begin to survey that platform. And they're going to see this person over here that is so excited about Jesus. They're going to see this person that is worshiping and reckless abandon. And they're going to say, you know what? Man, that person's a little bit over the top. Or they're going to go down the line. Then they're going to see this person over here that's it's there, but they don't even look excited about being there. And they're going to say, you know what? Man, I can do that. That person's not raising their hand. That person doesn't clap. That person's not smiling. But you know what? By virtue of the pastor placing them up there on that pulpit, he's saying, I want you to survey this. These are all acceptable standards. And what they're going to do is digress to the least acceptable standard. They're going to, the least common denominator. Folks, listen. Are people following you as the least common denominator? Or are you making it a challenge for people to be poured into the form of the example that God has set forth in your life? Folks, that's what He desires for us. He desires us to be holy, even as He is holy. He said, be, be perfect, even as I am perfect. He is desiring that consecration and that pressing. Paul said, listen, guys, I hadn't attained. But you know what I have done? I forget those things that are behind. And I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Folks, listen, you're pressing in your pattern, your mold that you said has got to be one of righteousness. He said, I beg of you, please, not as one desiring to exercise dominance over you, but as one who would set a righteous example for you to follow. I'm begging you. He said, I'm begging you. Not, I'm not putting lordship over you. I'm not condemning you. He said, but I'm putting forth an example and I'm saying, I'm begging you, follow this example because there's others that are setting example and they, they departed from the faith. They've given heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils and they're going to be like the blind leading the blind into a ditch. Follow this example that I set. And folks, listen, what that does is that frustrates what I'm talking about today frustrates a lot of people, Christian people, because we've really been conditioned by society and by really the hierarchical nature of the church as well that we just need to, to, to tell and demand people to do this or that because of our title or position. We can't do that. We can't be like the, the parents that would say, you know what, don't do as I do, do as I say. And what's the child going to do? He's going to watch everything you do and he's going to take it to another degree and he's going to do it in excess and totally walk in rebellion against you. Why? Because you're not going to have any power or authority in your words. And so what God has given to me personally is not a title. But he's given to me a responsibility. If I call myself a pastor, if I call myself an apostle, if I call myself a prophet, if I call myself an evangelist, or whatever it may be, then what happens is I have the responsibility to set the form in which subsequent leaders are to be poured into and built around. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so if I say that I'm this, if I'm pastor such and such, or reverend this, or minister that or that, what I've done is I've established the foundation. I said, okay, everything that's going to be poured into this is going to look like this. This is going to be the example. This is what's going to, what's going to, going to happen. This is what you can expect to be duplicated over time. And if, you, if you're not happy, if you're not satisfied with that, folks, listen, you need to go back and tear down those forms and allow God to build something up in your heart and life that, that you're willing, that you're, you're, you're confident in other people following that example. See, folks, I don't want people to be poured around my compromise. Period. I don't want them to be. So what is the result? That challenges me not to compromise. I don't want people to be uh, uh, poured around my fear and anxiety. And so what does that cause me to do? Not to walk in fear and anxiety. I don't want somebody to, to duplicate that and people say, man, you know what? I saw such and such that's, that, that's part of uh, your flock or your congregation or your ministry or whatever. Man, they're fearful all the time. I wonder why. Oh, and they look at my life and they see that I'm out all the time. Folks, listen, you're going to reproduce after your own kind. I don't want people to be poured around my complacency. 
Why? Because you know what? They're going to demonstrate that complacency. I don't want people to be uh, poured around my anger, my fits of rage. So what does it do? It causes me not to walk in those things. I don't want people to be poured around my selfishness or, or my pride or my laziness or, or some other characteristic that's unbefitting a servant of the living God. I don't want them to be poured around those things. So what does it cause us to have to do? It causes us to decrease. It causes us to raise up the standard. Why? Because they're going to be looking unto us and they're going to want to find that, that, that hole and that gap. They're going to find that area uh, that's, that's going to make it easier for them to follow. Folks, listen. We've got to, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, to elevate that standard of righteousness and walk in holiness in Him and allow the person and the power of God to come into our lives and change and transform us and to make us genuine examples of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's saying. Listen, all these things I've told you, up to this point, I beseech you, brethren. Listen, I'm begging you. There's an example that I've set, and now I'm fixing to unfold in these 21 verses exactly what I'm talking about, what all those doctrines, what all those empowerments, what all those truths expect out of you. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable servant. And so, folks, when he says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, what this is dealing with is the issue of sanctification or the process whereby we become Christ-like. That's exactly what he's talking about. He's saying, listen, I'm, I'm, I beseech you, I'm begging you, by what? The mercies of God. It's, folks, it's the mercy of God that, that brings us to repentance. It's the mercy of God that brings us to a place of, of consecration and sanctification for Him. And He says, I'm begging you, but He said, I'm begging you through this vehicle that He's provided by the blood of Jesus. I'm begging you for this, that you present yourself. And so, think about what 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 4 says. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 4 says this. He says, furthermore, we beseech you. There's that word Paul is using again. Here's what you're going to find. You're going to find now that I said that, you're going to be so much more aware of that word. You're going to see that, that begging, that imploring. You're going to see what he says. He said, we beseech you, brethren, exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so we would abound more and more. What did he say? We beseech you and exhort you that you have received of us how, how you ought to walk and please God. And so was he saying, don't follow me because I'll let you down? No, he's saying, listen, I'm begging you because we exhort you because you've received of us. You've seen how you ought to be a follower of God. Now, today, you know what? You start saying that and people say you're prideful and boastful. Was Paul the Apostle being prideful or boastful? No, he's stating a fact. And folks, why, where was his confidence? His confidence wasn't in his flesh. He said, in my flesh dwells no good thing. He, he knew it wasn't. But his confidence was in the revelation of the, the application of these truths that God had empowered into him. Folks, we need to get to that place in our, in our lives if we're not there. We need to be able to say, listen, I exhort you that you ought to look at the example that I'm setting and that's the way you ought to walk it out. And so that you would abound more and more. And doing that, what's going to happen? It's going to accelerate your spiritual walk. It's going to accelerate your victory. It's going to bring you a hope and a peace and a power and, and, a, and, a, and a lifestyle that's going to be exemplary of Christ Jesus. That's what he's saying. He said, if you do that, that's what it's going to do. For you know what commandments which we gave you by the Lord Jesus Christ. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Even that you might be made uh, uh, sanctified and made pure and holy, brought, brought into that right relationship with Him, that you should abstain from fornication. And he wasn't specifically, just, uh, or just totally just speaking of, of sexual immorality outside of marriage. He, he was talking about a spiritual fornication, or, 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 or an immorality, or a spiritual infidelity. He said that every one of you should know how to possess 
His vehicle in sanctification and honor. And so he's saying, listen, we're setting an example to you that you're not going to walk in, in spiritual infidelity. But we're going to give you an example that you can set forth this through the tender mercies of God that you're going to be able to possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. Let me ask you a question. Is, is, is your life and the vehicle that God has given you called your, 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 your body a, a vessel that's been under sanctification and honor? Has it been to, 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 to wickedness and to dishonor unto Him? Folks, listen. God is wanting us to establish the forms. The, the, to give a spiritual credibility to Christ Jesus in us, the hope of glory. Do, do you find yourself teetering all the time? Do you find yourself swept about by circumstance? Do you find yourself falling apart at, at every uh, challenge or any situation that you're in? Or do you find yourself being steadfast and movable, uh, always abounding? How, how do you find yourself? Folks, listen. If, if, you're, if you're not measuring up that standard, you need to reset your forms. That you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And folks, this is the requirement literally of a life that's totally given unto the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, listen, here's what I want you to present yourself. Folks, why is it a living sacrifice? Because the sacrifice of the Old Covenant was a sacrifice once it was given, it was dead. It was. That was it. And so as a result, the sacrifice had to be offered every single year because the blood dried out. So what's he telling us? He said, I want you to become a living sacrifice. I want you to be a sacrifice that's perpetuated in righteousness. I want you to be a sacrifice that perpetuates holiness, that perpetuates victory, that perpetuates power, that perpetuates love, joy, peace, hope, gentleness, goodness, uh, self-control. I want you to be that type of sacrifice, one that's always abounding, one that's always producing the fruit of the Spirit of God. It's always replicating the things that have been invested in them. That living sacrifice that's not dead, that's not dried up. It's not yesterday's dry old religion. But he said, I want you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And how often in this, in, in, as we studied Romans, quoted to you Galatians 2, 20 and 21, that I'm crucified with Christ. What is it? That's a living sacrifice. Nevertheless, I live. I'm a living sacrifice. But not I, but Christ lives in me in the, the life that I now live in the flesh. A living sacrifice. I live by faith. A living sacrifice and the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for it. I did not frustrate the grace of God for his righteousness come by the law. Then Christ is dead in vain. And so, folks, listen, he's telling us, listen, I've made you that living sacrifice. That one is to be perpetuated in everything you say and everything you do on a daily uh, daily basis. And so he said, therefore I, uh, uh, therefore, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, by that sanctification process, what Jesus has done for each and every one of us, that you present yourselves... Holy and acceptable unto God. Folks, you know what it means to present yourself? If I'm presenting myself holy and acceptable unto God, that you uh, present your bodies a living sacrifice. You know what it means? Literally, it means to put yourself at a place of another's disposal. That's what it means. And God, I'm putting my life at your disposal. Lord God, I'm totally, another way to put it would be, Lord God, I'm totally abandoning my self-will and I'm submitting myself to you. Whatever you tell me to do, there's not going to be an argument with it. Now, how many times do you find yourself arguing with the will of God? You say, God, I want your will to be done in my life. But when God begins to speak something to you, what you end up doing is saying, Lord God, well, listen, I don't really want to do that. Well, what about just being at his, his, his disposal? Folks, listen, what I, I learned a long time, and I'm learning it still yet more and more all the time, but I, fortunately I learned some of these lessons that I, that I can build upon those years ago, that you know, God doesn't have to, to, to hit me over the head with anything. All God's got to do is just speak to me and tell me something. I don't need 15 words of, of affirmation or confirmation. I, I don't need to put a fleece before God. That if God speaks to me and just tells me to do something, it's just so much more simple for me just to do it. 
Not to worry about it or try to debate him or try to somehow convince him that there's a better way or a better plan. When God speaks to me and tells me to do something, listen, I've learned to try to condition myself. God, I'm just going to do it. I'm not going to say, well, I can't do it because of this or I can't do it because that's too hard for me or that's not my personality or that's not my gift or that's not my ability. I've just learned over time to just say, yes, I'll do that. God, I'll be obedient to whatever you say because I know that to obey is better than to sacrifice. And God, that you're going to honor my obedience as that sacrifice because the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. And that is not what you, uh, you will not despise. And so I want to put myself at his disposal. So if God tells me to do something, what am I going to do? I'm going to do exactly what God has told me. But folks, listen, we've got to come to that place where we're allowing that type of character to be formulated in our life based upon all these truths, these doctrines that he has given us in these eight chapters of the book of Romans. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And what is that going to be? The sacrifice is going to be holy. Okay? I hear people all the time on the streets, we're talking to them and elsewhere, even in the church sometimes. Listen, well, you know... uh, I, I, you know, you can't be perfect. You know, you can't do this. Well, holiness is perfection. And holiness is not perfection based upon your own self-righteousness. Holiness is perfection based upon the righteousness of God which has been imputed into your life through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the enabling factor to overcome the works of the flesh. Folks, listen, there is no temptation that's come upon you but that which is common to all men. But with every temptation, He provides a way of escape. A way of escape into what? A way of escape into more compromise? A, more of a, a way of escape into holiness is what he's provided a way of escape into. To come into that place of righteous congregation, uh, consecration, I'm going to present myself a living, present what? My body, not somebody else's, my body a living sacrifice, which is going to be holy and acceptable. Folks, because the only thing that is acceptable unto God is that which is holy. Do you hear me? It is. Anything less than that is not going to be an acceptable sacrifice. I can take you all the way back to, to Cain's sacrifice. It wasn't acceptable because it wasn't holy. I can take you to, to the, when, uh, when uh, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of, of Aaron, tried to offer a sa- strange fire upon the altar. It, it, looked, it looked like a sacrifice, but it was unholy, so it was unacceptable. And they found themselves consumed and, and, and by that, that, that sacrifice that they were trying to offer. Folks, listen. We have got to present ourselves holy and acceptable unto God, which is our exceptionable service, which is our Rambo service, which is over and above the call of duty. Folks, no, it's just the reasonable service. The reasonable thing for us to do as believers is to be an example for people to be poured into. Listen, it's not. If you're walking in holiness and consecration and faithfulness towards God, that's nothing above and beyond the call of duty. Why? Because that's the example that the Lord Jesus Christ set for us and subsequently that's what His his apostles, His disciples set for us to follow as well. As they're saying, listen, be poured into my mold. Be, Be examples. Be followers of me even as I am followers of Christ Jesus. And so folks, listen, what we'll be talking about over the next uh, probably week or so in this 12th chapter is really what God is placing upon us based upon all the, the, really I call it ammunition or the tools that he's given us through these doctrines. Folks, that he's given us an enablement. So he wouldn't say present yourselves uh, a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, had he had not already given us these eight chapters that enable us to be able to do those things. And so folks, listen, we're totally out of time this morning, but this is, I'll tell you what, the 12th chapter is such an exciting chapter and it's such a challenging chapter as well because of, of really it, it brings everything into perspective and, and it opens it up and it says, okay, 
Here's what I've given you. Now, here's what I'm expecting of you. But I've given you the tools and the ability to do it through my spirit and through my word. Folks, we're out of time today. But really, I invite you back here tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock a.m. Eastern Standard Time if you're here live. And also, join us for prayer at 5 a.m. to get into that prayer. Then uh, have that little three-hour break afterwards and then come back to the study of the word. Folks, i tell you what, that's a great one-two combination is prayer and the word, prayer of the word. And then once you get out and you begin to share with people, man, it will enable you and embolden you do the things of Christ Jesus. Got one bit of advice for you today as we close out. Get into God's Word, and God's Word will get into you.